leading the way for powerful discussion with thought leaders, business moguls, decision makers, and strong opinions. This is the John Pyle Podcast. Friday afternoon, downtown Columbus, in Epic Restaurant with the chef, Jamie Keating. Jamie, how are you? Great, John. How about yourself? Good, good. What is, uh, what's on the table for, for lunch? I mean, usually when I come in here at this time of day, I expect something. You well, know? I apologize, John. <laughs> you know, I, I do have that, that culture, of, you know, like a grandmother would have and constantly feed, feed, feed. But if you'd like, we could step in the kitchen and do just that. <laughs> we right? should be doing the podcast with the chef's type. Yeah, right now we just have yeah. cookbooks on the table. Yeah, and then, then uh, that's fine with me. You got me some water, so I'm good to go. Uh, we are coming in, actually, in a couple of weeks. I'm a smart guy because I got... Uh, married on the same day as same date as my mom's birthday. So, is that did I say that right? Yeah, my anniversary and my mom's birthday are the same day. I just don't want to know what happened when that actually was decided upon. <laughs> what your mother thought and or what your wife thought. They were both on them. So okay. that's why you know we'll be in. I'll be in here with my with my mom and with my parents and my wife and take care of all of it at, at once in a couple of weeks. So um, anyway, great. I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to come in and talk today because uh, Epic and JK Culinary and Jamie Keating and everything that you've done is a big deal around here. Some people don't know and uh, I know a little bit, but I've got some more questions and that's why I wanted to talk today. So Fantastic. yes. So first of all, what is somebody with your talent doing in good old Columbus, Georgia? <laughs> well, I don't know about, uh, you know, what the talent is because we're constantly learning every day and evolving and, and food is a great, a great education piece because I'll never know it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to coming to Columbus, Georgia, that is a very long story. Uh, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, went to school at uh, Paul Smith College up in the Adirondacks in New York, where my, I met my wife now of 27 years marriage, uh, 25 years marriage, sorry. You did get that and, right. Yeah, I get that right. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking a little different there. Uh, but anyway, I uh, met my wife, Melissa, up in the Adirondacks at Paul Smith, and we moved to Hilton Head, South Carolina, worked for Hyatt Hotels, moved to Atlanta before the 1996 Summer Olympics, and uh, worked at Hyatt Hotels there as well, and then moved to LaGrange. Georgia, uh, where we still reside, and that was back in 97, and the funny story I tell everybody is that, you know, and, and I still believe this today, uh, is that when I lived in Atlanta, I had no idea there was anything south of Georgia, I mean, of Atlanta, Georgia, than Florida. I thought it went Atlanta, Georgia, oh, Florida. Uh, yeah. So you just get in the car, drive south, and there's the coast. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, knowing there was a LaGrange or a Columbus or other cities down here, I had no clue. Uh, we, uh, with my oldest son who graduates college this year from Penn State, he, you know, we moved with him to LaGrange, Georgia, to work for a textile company called Milliken uh, as their corporate chef at a guest house uh, up there in LaGrange. And uh, soon after, we, uh, you know, got a little bit. Oh, what was that like going from from now you went from New York to South Carolina I mean to South Carolina right yeah from New York to South Carolina what was that like 
that was fantastic. Okay. You know, it was just a beach atmosphere in Hilton Head, yeah. and there was many Northerners and all, you know, eclectic group of folks. Then uh, you're in Lagrange. What's well, that like? Well, then we moved to Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta, yeah. So, which is still, you know, a melting pot right. of all different, you know, folks. And then moved to Lagrange, which was, you know, quite interesting. Working at the guest house with some some beautiful people. Some of them never even left the city of Lagrange mm-hmm. in their whole life, and they were 65 plus years old. Uh, uh, retired and never even left. So wow. it was kind of a uh, culture thing. Yeah. And trying to get caught up on words like, you know, fix into <laughs> or put that bowl up under there, like yeah. up under or, you know, uh, water pipe. I had no idea <laughs> what that was. What uh, about mash? Did, mash. Somebody mash says mash the button. button. Yeah. Over yonder, yeah. you know, and I started looking up a lot of those words in a dictionary. I couldn't believe, you know, like, yonder. All right, that is a distance uh, that is still in your sight, and da, 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 but is you know of some distance. But yeah, so it was kind of a, a nice culture shock, but it was fantastic. Uh, but after that, uh, we found that hey, I, I need to be doing something more. I was working so many hours with our hotel chain there that you know I was starting to get a little bored and. I wanted our marriage to survive, so I figured, man, I can't be at home all the time. So we opened up a catering business and started carving ice and doing catered events for three plus thousand people, and uh, you know, doing in-home dinners. And that's where I found, you know, really it brought back what I was doing at Hyatt Hotels and banquets. That every event was different, and that's really what energized me is being creative like that. Mm-hmm. And so we, we we had launched that up like a year and a half after. We moved to Lagrange. Now, what year? What what year are we talking about? So this we're is... at about late 1998, 1999. Okay. How did you get your name out? Because there's no social media. So what were you doing then to get recognized or to get or to be able to come into people's homes and provide catering services? So it's what I tell and teach in some speaking engagements that I do do across the country uh, to folks trying to get their foot in the door. If I had a tattoo, it would say, which I have none, but if I did, it would say nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because really, what speaks to uh, folks in regards to people who attend nonprofit events and XYZ is to give donations and to give yourself. Uh, so, for example, to get your foot in the door, I would do auction, you know, and, uh, dinner for six in their home or 12 in their home okay. for, for the Cancer Society, Alzheimer's, whether it be the Heart Association or it could be just for the uh, Humane Society. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, you're doing a dinner in somebody's home and you have a wonderful opportunity to get to know people. Yes. And they want to know you. And at the same time as this period is going, Emerald Lagasse, you know, he's, you know, going crazy on TV. Food Network's really kicking in. Mm-hmm. So it really was a true stardom for chefs at that point, but it was starting to really get there. And with that being said, they want to say, hey, you know, Jamie, you know, tell me about this, or I'm starting to cook. And men were starting to feel like at home, you know, feeling really comfortable about grilling and cooking and not just waiting right. for mom or, you know, grandma or whomever, their spouse to make dinner for them. So with that being, we went ahead and said, hey, let's do these nonprofit dinners and did that. And next thing you know, that's spilled over into, hey, my daughter's getting married. Hey, I need this done. I need this done. Hey, I own this company. You know, can you come do this? Or whether it was barbecue or grilled cheeseburgers, you know, for 3,000 people in the middle of a a plant's parking lot to, you know, a 14-course high-end dinner in their backyard for Mm -hmm. 40 people. 
we ended up starting to see that, you know, and we are now touching people in their lives in many ways. We're touching the, the charity by showing our support. Okay. There. We're touching those who, who did attend that charitable event and, uh, you know, one or bid out the others with for our dinners. And then at the same time, we're now taking care of their families, let's say in a wedding scenario or a bridesmaid's lunch or brunch. From there is always the big task that I tell my team Mm -hmm. is that we're here and we're doing a dinner, let's say, for the museum on the first Monday in December. And we've done that 12 years now. Yes, we've got the event. And um, our goal is not to just pull off what we promised tonight and exceed expectations. But our goal is to make sure that they make the phone call the next day or that night or a week later and say, Jamie, there's nobody else we'd rather hear but you. Right. Let's put it on the calendar for right. next year. Okay. Uh, so it, you're always constantly interviewing, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's huge. Yep. Always. So as long as things went well, you would get another phone call. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they were only as good as the last meal we cooked. Yeah. Right? I tell everybody. Yep. True statement. So how did you get to Columbus from LaGrange? So Columbus LaGrange, mm-hmm. and although we still live there, like I said, to this day, okay. I drive up and down the highway, uh, was a really neat thing. And it was, first, I was helping a cooking school here in Columbus. Uh, it's called Columbus Cooks. And they were working out of Manchester Expressway at an equipment place called Strategic Medley Equipment. And a good friend of mine, Kelly Heath, said, Hey, Jamie, can you help these ladies out? They're trying to start a cooking school. We're letting them use our facility on Manchester. Would you come down and maybe show them a thing or two? I purchased you know, equipment from Kelly. They obviously did as well. So I'd come down and I'd do a couple of dinners for them. Uh, they'd be maybe a dinner for a pharmaceutical group. It might be a dinner just for a couple, you know, several couples that want to come and attend and watch me do a demonstration and they eat our wares afterwards. So I did just that. And in one particular day, I got a phone call from the ladies and mm-hmm. they said, Jamie, uh, we have somebody who uses our services quite a bit and their husband's getting married. I'm not, I'm sorry, your husband's birthday is in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, what can I do for you? They mm-hmm. said, well, they want you to cater the dinner for the husband. I said, okay, when is it? And they said, uh, well, a couple of days we said, it's tomorrow. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. How many people? Eight, not a problem. But mm-hmm. you need to have quail and yada, 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 yada. So never meeting the couple or their family, scrambled around and get, procure the product. I roll in and do the dinner. And from there, pretty much word of mouth starts okay. you know, getting out. And next thing you know, we're doing uh, events for the Columbus Museum or the Cancer Society. Uh, Which is where I first met you at the library when they used to have the authors come in. And we still do that. We, yes. just, did, we just did another one this year. Yes. Okay. Okay. Which is where I first. And I was so excited because I was there photographing some some things for the event and we got to eat so that i was like man this is good yeah that's the flip side for sure when i'm in the back of the scenes i'm not going to cook just for the amount of guests on the uh, on the dining room floor i've got to take care of those support folks that are around i don't care if they're security guards for the museum or libraries or hey eat eat feed let me feed i mean that's what i was i felt like i was put on this earth to do but I remember going going back in there when this when the speaker was speaking, we all got a break and walking back in where the area was where y'all were preparing the food and getting everything ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And man, you were like just 
head down driving forward. Like it was not playtime back there. I mean, now when you came out and met with everybody and said hello and, you know, shaking some hands and, and some greetings and everything, that was different. But back there in, in the war room, <laughs> you were just like killing it. I mean, focused and it was not, not playtime at all. I think you still do that now, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do it in a lot of ways, but, you know, I have a, a, a responsibility that's on my shoulders, uh, whether I've signed up for that job to do. Uh, and although, whether it's a, a wedding or a nonprofit event, corporate event, you, you know, you name whatever type of event it might be. For example, take a wedding. Say it was a 200-person wedding. Maybe I met with the families, both sides, bride and groom, maybe an aunt intermixed here and there. So maybe I met with 10 people from the family. Mm -hmm. I have not met probably the other 190. The 190 were not sitting in those meetings with us coming together with the event. So we have a responsibility not just to you know make the 10 folks that we made happy. It's all 200 mm-hmm. and give them an experience that, that says, wow, and makes them say, hey, we might need to procure this gentleman's services because you know we felt very comfortable not even knowing him or her or their catering business. Right. Because yeah. we want the families, and I have this still happen to this day, that we've catered 20 plus years ago and they've grown older. They got several children now and they'll still say to me, Jamie, we still talk about the wedding families, people we know still talk about when you made this dish or that dish. Really? Or you did, wow. da, da, da. And that's pretty cool mm-hmm. when that happens. So when did, uh, when did you set up a permanent shop here in Columbus and what was it called? Cause there was no Epic. There was, there was, was it JK Culinary? Was that? So our, our, our initial business was gourmet. <coughs> mm-hmm. uh, and predominantly was doing a lot of picnics, uh, high, high end dinners, you know, where it was multi-courses, but small numbers of guests and a lot of ice carving. Okay. And it was called gourmet events. Uh, I remember because the business cards were translucent, trying to give off the idea of ice carving. You know, the ice. The, uh, and you do that. You you carve the. Oh yeah, yeah okay. wherever, you, wherever you want, carve. You can carve. <laughs> that's uh, that's cool. See, I did not I know. I could that. probably do a bust of you right now. Yeah, might, or my logo. Can yeah, you do the logo? <laughs> logos? Logos are the fun ones. Okay. You know? uh, but yeah, and then uh, we opened up shop by um, you know catering a lot of different places. And starting to make a name for ourselves, and we're asked, "Hey, would you, you know, do this full time?" And we just did just exactly that. What's that like coming into Columbus, being a quote, air quote, quote, whatever outsider, <laughs> and starting a new business here in this community? Well, I believe it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know what I learned about Columbus even before opening up Epic is that generally speaking, everyone wants to say they did it. You know, they want to, I did that. I already been there. Mm -hmm. I went to that new restaurant that opened up. Oh, I already had my wedding there. It was fantastic. And it still is today. But it was, it was fantastic in regards to everybody wanting to book you because you're the new game in the town. Yes. And I, I never looked at it like that at the get go. I look at it now or years past, you know, four or five years past that time. 
uh, I realized quickly, though, that, hey, you're the new game in the town. we got to book you for this, book you for that, book you for this. Well, we're just establishing myself. I still this day don't even know how to get to half the streets that are, you know, <laughs> ask me where Airport Thruway is. I couldn't get you there. Right. I'm usually 185 to LaGrange and right back down. Mm-hmm. Um, thank goodness for maps and, 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 and MapQuest and all that other stuff. But uh, we then realized quickly that, yeah, everybody wants your services, but – we need to build a team that's going to help us pull this off okay. because Jamie Keating can't be everywhere. Mm-hmm. He tries to, and I can't promise everything. Uh, but at the same token is how do we then retain and, you know, the services that these folks are looking for us to give for an event. But the, the big thing was, all right, how do we continue to evolve and show change? Meaning, we're not going to be the same thing you get all the time. Now, if you want the same exact experience, great. Okay. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. And that makes it easier. The first time we did uh, the Toast of the Town, mm-hmm. it was the first time you know they did in this town, they did it with us. We worked together as a team. The first time there was Dancing with the Stars for Alzheimer's was, was with us. Mm-hmm. We started the whole process, and, and it, it, that's hard work to start. You know, oh, yeah. from the ground and never done it before. There wasn't a manual on it. Mm-hmm. So the second year might have been, you know, even a little rockier if we tried change. The third year might have been some more bumps in a row. But come fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth year, as you're continually doing it, it just becomes automatic. Mm-hmm. And you're just putting in different little hooks to make it different each time so that you're allowing the, the folks to come a little different of an experience, but they come accustomed to what it is. Okay. That's great for those type of events. But on other events, folks are looking for something a little different. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've got this ballroom that we did. It was hard floor, hardwood floor. But my sister's getting married or the father says my other daughter's getting married. I walk her through that hardwood floor. And she says, well, I don't want to be like my sister. Uh, we yeah. walk her into the other room that just got new carpet. And they say, well, we have this one. It's carpeted. Mm-hmm. That's it. Perfect. There is something different. Okay. You know, whether it be outdoors, indoors, whatever, it's just always constantly trying to find a way to show the, the parties to be that we can be different or we can custom to them what it is that they're looking for. So newness has a niche and different has a niche. Exactly. Got you. Got you. Okay. So, Jamie, where in Columbus do you cater now? Where do you go? Well, we cater all over the country. Okay. When, when Even like when Jeff Gordon was going on his last year of race touring, you know, we cater up in Chicago, down in Miami for his last race, Charlotte, you know, you name it. Um, weddings all over the place. Mm-hmm. This past November, we did one in Moultrie, Georgia. It was 600, 600 beautiful people there. Wow. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be within just the Columbus area. Mm-hmm. There are some new powerhouses that are right outside of Epic's front door um, mm-hmm. that are gorgeous that we cater to. Uh, people's homes, obviously. Uh, people have, you know, different country homes and places that we might cater to. Uh, the Columbus Botanical Gardens, uh, having a partnership with them is very important because right. uh, they do great things for this town as well. Yeah. Um, the Springer Opera House to uh, also love to say events stretching out. Victoria Bell Mansion up there in Hogansville. Uh, we just did a, a shoot and food styling to help for a, a Fox show that's coming out. Uh, Victoria Bell Mansion is a neat wonderful antebellum home and uh, the owner there she's fantastic where's that in- it's at hogan's okay and uh 
but we've been reaching out and constantly creating those relationships uh, and showing the venues that listen we we pride ourselves on quality mm-hmm. we would love to be you know partners with you to because if they got quality like us in their property that's only going to show off their property that that much better you right. know it's going to help their bookings because going back to the scenario of the 200 person wedding that might be there the 10 people you know don't know the mm-hmm. other 90 people that to come, you know, do know they're going there and how it can affect future business for that property, if that makes any oh, sense. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think it's a, is it the Fountainview Mansion, I believe, in Auburn. Yes. Uh, they've renovated. They've asked us to come do a bridal show. And I've been there. So That's on. a great place. On our website, it pretty much shows some different venues for us okay. to come to. But we'll go anywhere. Right. Uh, we... Um, we absolutely, you know, Atlanta, we do a lot of my, my cooking classes. We do team building exercises it's called recipe for success. So yeah, we, I like going mobile sometimes. Okay. So what it take me through, what's it like to do a, a wedding out of town like that? I mean, you don't just drive over a couple hours before and start and come right back home. I mean, you're catering a massive event. You got to have employees, you got to have trucks, you got to have down to the napkin, right? Like what, take, take me through that. Well, the, the, the work of a wedding is very unique because in most times it is somewhat custom. It's not like a corporate event where a corporate meeting planner opens up, our, wants to look at our menu and say, I'll take package A, B and half a C. Just mm-hmm. put it on the bill and send me a proposal, right? They got, okay. They're booking, booking, booking. They're not looking totally all the time for something to be unique and different and expressive of the individual. With a wedding, there's, you know, colors. There's, it, it's, a, it's a business of emotion. Yes. Uh, it's a business of emotion in regards to, you know, you don't know, you know what you're working with when you get that first phone call, you know? And so what we have to do is we have to figure out a lot of information, get as much intelligence as we possibly can. So it fits into their program. Uh, although some may look at us as a caterer, if you want us just to cater and drop off food, or you want to pick up some desserts for a, a rehearsal dinner, we can do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we go on site, and we go to a location, obviously there is, you know, the meeting with the family first. Then there is the location site visit because we want to make sure everybody goes through a Disney World type process. And what I mean by that is when you pull up to Disney World or a well-done amusement park, you know where you park. You see Minnie Mouse's face. You see the number (laughs) three on it. It's color-coded. Right. The minute you shut your doors, don't you know there comes a shuttle cart to come pick you up? Mm-hmm. Like, wow, these guys are on it. And that shuttle car takes you to the gate that you're supposed to enter, whether it be will call or you're buying your tickets there or whatever it might be. As you walk in, signage is absolutely everywhere. There are tour guides and guides guiding you through the process. But Mr. Walt Disney is such an intelligent man because he understood it's all about an experience. And if you said, hey, I need to use the men's or the ladies' room, don't you know when you look to the right or left what it's was there? there. Yep. It's there. How mm-hmm. is it there? How does he know you need that right then and there? Yeah. Or you go further. I mean, I could really go to some popcorn or a soft pretzel and you, all of a sudden you catch a room of a funnel cake and you look to your right there. It's, it is, you know? Yes. So we want, even though we might just be catering a meal or late night snacks, we want to help assist the family, the wedding coordinator, the florist, the photographer, whomever it might be with 
giving that family, hopefully that once in a lifetime experience, hopefully that family, that bride and groom stay married. You've probably been asked questions like, is this the point that we're supposed to cut the cake or is, is am I supposed to have my veil showing? Like you probably get asked those kind of questions, don't you? We get asked yeah. lots of questions and, and we don't, we, we, we first step back and try not to be the alpha. Mm-hmm. We want to find out who it is that wants to take control. And if there is a wedding planner involved, then yes, they're probably the number one person that takes control with the family. And we are a vendor. Yes. But once that wedding planner may be at an offsite wedding with the bride and groom during the ceremony, Mm -hmm. as a caterer, we're at the reception. And so there's nobody else there. There's no family members, usually no wedding coordinator, unless they have an assistant. So if the cake's not there, we would love to know the number. So we can call it first. Right. You know, if the, if for example, it's towards the end of the evening and the car driving them away is not there yet. Okay. We would love as much detail as we possibly can. And folks say, well, Jamie, but you're catering. What does that matter? Well, going back to a 200 person wedding, the 190 people that are there don't know that, you know, the bar was provided by the bride and groom. And the bartenders were just a bunch of bartenders. They're trying to get money to get a softball jersey for their church league or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it refers back to the caterer. It's, you know, when they see that and they go up, well, I'm out of Miller Lite or I don't have any of this or we are out of glassware or blah, blah, blah. It does reflect on us, I believe, you know, okay. because the 190 people don't know who, who did the bar or who right. did this or uh, we've made wedding cakes, you know, in 20 minutes because the cake person didn't show up. Really? Yeah. Because failure is not an option. It, you know, we, I pride my team, my family here. I want them to be part of the families to get married, you know? So if the, if, if they want to step back and they don't want to give me a hug, that's fine. I, I could deal with a handshake. But we want to be part of your family because if we invest like that, that night, my team, myself, we're going to be, you're not just a number. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, we, they all signed up. My whole team signed up to do this event. So if you don't want to be here, go home, right? Okay. But you signed up to be here. So you're going to give this family the best you possibly can. And we're, we're going to go above and beyond. Now, that makes me think about the fact that when we've come to Epic or, or been in the event or when I've seen you or, or at, you know, specifically when we've come here to dine, it always feels like we're the only ones here. And which is an awesome feeling because I know that's not the case. <laughs> You're very busy. What where did that come from? You mentioned the Disney World experience. Like, is that why is that so important to you? Is that just an innate drive to serve to please like what is where did that come from well i'm 47 years old so i honestly have to say that there have been wonderful mentors that i've had an opportunity to get in front of and work with over the years or educationally speaking uh from being a little kid you know with family on up up the ladder and that's also been folks that i've learned what not to do Mm -hmm. uh but when you come in and dine or you go to an event that, that personal attention, that Jerry Maguire feel is very important to us. And hopefully that night you came in, you weren't the only table in the restaurant. No. <laughs> okay, good. Because then that would be bad. Yeah, that would right. be bad. No, it just feels like it. It feels like you are, I am there and, and I'm the only one that you are concerned about. So what I asked my team in terms of, <clears throat> regards to serving tables is um, that we're only as good as the last meal we cook. We're only as good as the last meal we served. Happy cooks, happy food, happy service with a smile, happy guests. I actually use a reverse funnel effect where I don't 
think about the guest first. I actually think about my family and my team first. If I can make sure I give them the tools, the education, the environment where there's no harassment or gossip, mm-hmm. if I could uh, take care of them any way I possibly can with their own personal needs, I'd do that. Then at that point in time, it's not Godfather like where I did for you, you got to do for me. <laughs> it's more so like, yes, this is environment I want to be in. I'm safe. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Good grief. I'd rather be at work than home. I, I mean, whatever mm-hmm. the thought is. If that happens, then they take care of the guests. The guests are taken care of, then the business is taken care of. Interesting. Too many okay. businesses are like, it's about the guests. They want to yell and scream at the servers or mm-hmm. whatever, the, the secretaries, whoever it might be. Uh, and they lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. You know? Or they take their they take their uh, their clients out on hunts or concert tickets or do all this other stuff, but, you know, don't do a thing for the associates. And I don't use the word employee, mm-hmm. it's just, but I'll use it right now just to kind of get there. When I, Cause you hear me say team or family member right. or associates, they don't think about that. And they might, you know, you got to think about the psychology of it. And, um, it's, and I do it with, with passion and, and there's no falseness to it. Mm-hmm. So going to that, when they come to the table, I tell them to be chameleons to the table. And let's say you, you you rolled your R's or you had a little of a Hispanic diet, you know, mm-hmm. dialect, you're talking language. I, I find myself even starting to roll my R's mm-hmm. or if because what I'm doing is I'm trying to make sure the guest feels comfortable. I come to whatever uh, chameleon level or to whatever, whatever they are to make sure that they feel comfortable. I go to the level we keep intelligence on our guests. So we know that if John Pyle comes and he likes ice in his water. We're going to put that in the system. Or Johnny Walker Blue. Well, I I was going to go there. I was going to go there. But, you know, I left it as the water. Uh, I didn't know. But uh, the the next time somebody comes to serve your table and that server's never served you before or the back server's brand new, the intelligence and the ticket that we talked about in pre-shift that day says ice cubes and water. So that ice cubes and the water would be pulled off. That's some detail. That's some detail. And... That, <coughs> but we're not going to say, hey, John, we noticed you liked ice in your water last time, so we did it again. No, <laughs> we don't need to bring up the obvious. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's showing that you care. And in my kitchen, there are signs that says failure is not an option. And that means that if somebody asks for a peach, we'll do everything in our power to get a peach. Mm-hmm. I'll get an apple. I'll airbrush it. Peach colors. <laughs> I'll put fur on it. Right. I'll inject it with peach syrup. Bring it out in a peach basket, whatever it takes. Yeah. One is, you know, what it is in terms of sense of urgency. And we Mm -hmm. talked about that a little bit. But, you know, you've got to have an internal clock that, yeah, you're setting up for the night. But when you start feeling it like it's starting to build up and it's going to be busy and da da da, you have to have that sense of, you know, putting those blinders on like you discussed about Mm -hmm. me earlier at the library event. Mm -hmm. And the other one is to be tenacious, you know, to, to, to seek and to get, you know, the information you need to get the guests whatever they want. In the kitchen, when food goes up, you know, in most restaurants, right, almost it has actually tickets. You'll see table 21, ordering in, seat mm-hmm. one, bib salad, seat two, calamari, right? Yeah. Then it shows their entrees and so on. So if a cook puts a dish up in the window, and I say, is that what we're serving? And they'll say, yes, chef. I say, but um, so let me ask you a question, chef. Me talking to the, the cook. Who do you love most in your life? 
And it could be deceased. It could be a grandmother. It could be a parent. It could be your sister. It could be your daughter. Who who do you love the most in your life? And they tell me my daughter. Okay. So what I want you to do for me, every time you put a dish in this window, you're cooking for your daughter. Every stinking dish. That means no fingerprints on the edge of the plate. That means it tastes, it's seasoned, it's done right. And if she doesn't like blue cheese, oh well. But still, the salad comes with blue cheese, put it on there. Mm -hmm. And so when a dish comes up from anyone, I say, is that how you do it for your sister, your aunt, your mother, your daughter, your cousin, your brother, whoever it is? Because you need to extract the fact out that there are numbers sitting in that dining room. They are here for an experience. And that's another topic, but... Just going back to that you signed up for this job Mm -hmm. is that we have a a big time responsibility to give the person who comes in to eat, you know, uh, the respect and the quality that and hopefully above that quality that they they, their perspective was going to be. Now, how do you do that? Because there's only one you. And I was watching an interview on um, the Columbus CEO website. Yes, sir. There's some videos on there about the creativity and how you bring that from food into into, into one's business. But uh, there was something that caught me off guard about that regarding how you interview employees. And I mean, you, you take that very seriously. Can you, I mean, talk, talk about that for a minute. I mean, cause it's not an easy job, right? And it's, it's hard to get people. I mean, I hear this all the time. It's hard to get people to do the right thing. It's hard to get the right people in place, the right team, turnovers. Uh, you know, there's a misconception or the, the common uh, thought out there that, that people don't want to work. They're lazy. They're the millennials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like what, what do you see and, and how do you interview and find the right people to, to make this happen? Big question. It all goes down. <laughs> it all goes down to one very important thing is does that individual have a servant's heart? Will they lay a puddle, uh, a jacket over a puddle in front of someone? Will they, you know, go the extra step and not need the gratitude for it? You know, they say, you know, one could be judged what they do when no one else is around. Mm-hmm. Will they, in the back room, walk by a tissue or a leaf on the ground and a cigarette butt outside the front door and pick it up? Are they going to pick it up and run around and say, guys, I picked up this cigarette? Are, are they just going to do it? All right. Or are they going to step over it? Right. Uh, or I'm not getting paid for this. Right. You know? It's not my yacht, man. Mm-hmm. And I see that. So the first thing it starts off with is uh, generally a greeting by me, uh, a, a handshake, and then a tour. So I don't even really go much into what the job's about. We start to tour the property. As we tour the property, if I turn around and look and you're five or six steps behind me, and I've walked very fast, so I bring it down all many notches. So mm-hmm. I'm walking really slow. And I turn around then I'll turn around, shake the individual's hand, thank him so much for considering, you know, employment with the company. Nothing against you, but if this is, you know, where they are right now, where am I gonna be when you're actually on the clock on the job? Wow. All right, so it starts there. Uh, so you pretty much better be on my coattails. Yes. Uh, from so this there, is turning into the uh, Jamie's top interview tips to land a job. Absolutely. At so listen up. Yeah. It starts there, but you know, uh, you know, really, it comes down to we could talk. A piece of paper given to me to interview with means absolutely nothing to me. 
I mean, filling out application, just finding out some background history, make sure you don't have 12 warrants for your arrest. Yeah, that's important. But other than that, that does nothing. I've had chefs, I've had all kinds of people for many moons give me wonderful, brilliant, glowing, I mean, glowing in my hands applications. I mean, I was in the honor society. Does that mean anything? I mean, we're pretty chef. And and I ask them to break down a chicken or cut the carrots or peel carrots. And it's like, you know, huh? Mm. You know, goes back to that resume. On the culinary end, I generally like to just say, hey, come on in one day. Let's see what you do. And I said, and I'll, when I've been trained, I wouldn't even know it'd be a mystery basket of to what to make. And they give you like an hour and a half. You got to make a dish with the ingredients. Wow. I never thought about that. Here I just From give the- somebody, I'll say, I'm going to give you a chicken tomorrow. What vegetables do you want? I'll tell you what, you can use anything in the cooler. You give me a chicken tomorrow, you cook that dish, hour and a half. And I'm looking for sanitation. You know, I mean, are they used? So are you watching gloves? them cook it or you just show up at the end? I don't or? stand right over. Okay. I, I, I allow. The rest of the team, the other chefs and stuff, will help guide them, and it's not. So I'm looking to see how they interact, and I'm not going to stand over and make somebody nervous. They'll end up cutting a digit off. You know, I, I walk <laughs> away, uh, and you know, I'm not personally always going to be there, standing next to him or her. You know, those chefs in the kitchen are. So I need to make sure that works well for you know the team. But we've had people that that'll absolutely amaze you. I don't need them to know, you know, five different varieties of Malbec or, you know, how to make this particular cocktail or, uh, you know, make a meringue, you know, three different meringues or anything of that nature. What I need to know is where you are, you know, don't lie to me and say you got all these degrees in pastry and then you come in and you can't make a meringue. I need to know truthfully where you are. Okay. But, uh, we'll, cause we'll find out it'll be exposed oh, yeah. pretty soon. Uh, but we can teach all these things. I need to know that you're going to be able to retain it. Uh, sustaining is the hardest thing in any 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 operation, whether it be factory work, uh, whether it be answering the telephones every day, whether it be cold calling folks, whether it be here uh, serving or cooking. You can put any process in place and say, this is the way, like I'm doing it now. I got my shelves of pots and pans. I organized the way I want them. I took pictures. I laminated. I hung them on the wall. Gave the education. I told. I showed. I did. I reviewed. That's our. That's my training practices. And then if they don't do it. You know what I mean. And you let it go for a little bit. Then it's just going to end up being a wreck all over again. Mm-hmm. So you've got to sustain a process. Uh, the next thing is, um, you know how to see how they they are intent into wanting to work if it is all truly about the dollars okay then it's not going to work here now wait jamie it's all about the dollar don't they need money oh listen money will come i truly believe this it has happened in my life dollars will come when you stop focusing on them if you focus on them they're just going to pop up out of the ground anywhere you want you know Mm -hmm. and if money is your number one goal if that is the carrot in front of you it won't work with the situation here in place because money ends up becoming an evil to the operation. So for example, John, you've got six businessmen sitting there and they say, Hey, get us your best Cabernet. And you go and you get them, you know, $400 Cabernet and they go through four bottles That's 1600 bucks, but you never shared with them how much one bottle was. Mm -hmm. They get the bill. Those you get the bill. You'll pay it. But you're never coming back. But instead of opening the wine list to say, 
Mr. Pyle, here I'm going to show you with the hands without embarrassing you in front of your other five, you know, business associates. Would you care for this one? Maybe show them 400. Maybe show one that's 120. Maybe show one that's one that's 89. Maybe give mm-hmm. give the guest the opportunity because you went ahead and went with 400. You're, there's six guests. You might hit an automatic gratuity. You got paid because you, the server, were focused on the dollars. I see. Yes. And therefore the restaurant, whether that server's here this week, next week, or never again, or even here for three years, you'll see then your business decline. When we have guests in the door, we can fix anything. We can fix anything. It's when you, they leave in the power of say social media and reviews and stuff. Those are things that are a little bit harder to, mm-hmm. to, to get back. Yep. Absolutely. That's huge. That, that do you, is that something you explain to employee, or potential to, employees? So somewhere? if I went to your house, for example, mm-hmm. and I said I would bring, and let's say I couldn't be there the whole night. Now mm-hmm. I'll be there to potentially set it up. I'll be there throughout the whole training process of the education between client and ourselves. But I might bring two other folks with me that I know will be the chef on site and the front of house person leader on site. And we'll go to the house and we'll do the inspection. And then now the family gets to know the other two part of the party. Mm-hmm. Because if Jamie's not there the whole time, you got to be thinking to yourself, wait, I worked with Jamie. Now he's not here. This doesn't work. Right. right? I want it where anybody in the dining room here at Epic or a catering gig, you name it. When they look in our team's eyes, they see the passion and the, they see the confidence that they would see in my eyes. And many times, I'm saying 75% plus the times, they didn't want to work with me no more. The guest, the client. Right. They're happy dealing with oh, Tyler you, you or Sheila yeah. or this or that. And they're like, oh, he's the best or she's the best. And I need them next year. And da-da-da-da. So we've, we've, we've grown. Instead of it just being one figurehead, you know, there's more. I tell the, the associate during the interview, I say, Listen, my, the check might say Jamie Keating on the top of it, but I'm not paying you. The company is paying you, all right? Okay. When you come to work, right, we have a handshake deal on whatever your wage might be. Um, as you start to work, the company owes you. Jamie Keating doesn't owe you. Once that check comes, puts in your hand, we shake hands again, and we do it all over again. We're only as good as what we do here. You're only as good as what you did yesterday. Nobody cares about somebody else who dined at another table or event we had last night. Tonight's dinner doesn't care about last night's dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, you only care about you and rightfully so. Wow. Is that hard finding people that have that level of commitment? Where, where I'm absolutely uh, blessed and I feel that the recipe works is that for the majority of the folks that, that are, that are with us still, that, you know, a lot of them have gone on to bigger and better things within their career. And it was known. They, they weren't going to marry me and be here for 20 years. But those that, that made this their business and their craft and didn't need to move for any other scenario situation because their, their spouse got deployed or something of that nature or are sent to a different post if they were military or whatever. is I've got folks that work with me or with us for, you know, 12 years mm-hmm. plus and they're so wired for sound and programmed that even if we had a couple weak associates or they fell off we all know that we could do this with about three or four of us if we had to mm-hmm. 
I mean, I'm blessed to know that, that the recipe works because they have the faith in me because they know that no matter what, I am the one that's in there washing pots and pans. I'm above no job. And I say that in the interview because I want to scare them, the person in the interview. I want to tell them, listen, you might be here at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday going into Sunday morning. Because everything in that kitchen that's not stapled, bolted, or glued, nailed to the walls or floor comes out. Everything. And they then can also see the smile when a new food truck guy delivers food. Says, hey, man, you guys just open? Mm-hmm. This place is the cleanest kitchen I've seen in my life. And he says, <laughs> nope, we've been open six and a half years. Wow. But, you know, there's a chef table in there and everything else. So, mm-hmm. uh, But if you take care of your equipment and your property, it'll take care of you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just a little bit. Do, do you worry about training competition? Do you, are you worried about your training? You might be training your competition one day that people leave here with these these ideas or these business tips or these this, uh, you know, devotion to the business and take it somewhere else. And then suddenly you're competing against them. Absolutely not, but that is a fantastic question that nobody, I don't believe, has asked me in a long, long time. <laughs> and I refer back to a couple of folks, but uh, when Bacnaya in Atlanta moved uh, from Piedmont Road to uh, over that meatpacking area of Howell Mill or wherever it might be located, um, and she was the first to you know, basically just say, hey, I'm going to put my restaurant, I'm going to put this highly acclaimed restaurant in a warehouse district and then what happened beyond that after they proved it other ones came around it the mm-hmm. optimist got you know best restaurant uh, best new restaurant and you know fortune magazine whatever da, 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 da. and others start coming boom 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 boom, boom. they started getting even artsier with you know drapery companies and you know fancy artists and so forth mm-hmm. so this is before we built Epic and I, and I said you know at first, you know, in the catering world, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a fear, knowledge that people have. And, and once they, once others, whether it be real estate or other investors say, hey, I've got property, I can do this too, right? So I'm going to hire Jamie's people. Yeah. Sure. That was kind of a little bit in my back of my head. But when we finally decided to open Epic and um, between Matt Swift and myself, they had looked at five, six other people to open Epic in here in the Eagle of Phoenix. And I said, you know, I'm not I'm not even worried anymore. I, I'm not, ever. I can't be because. And this is not ego job mm-hmm. is that we're going to put Columbus on the map. And I'm going to put blinders on and I'm not going to worry about anybody else what we do within these walls okay. and if you do decide to move on and go forward as long as it doesn't affect any you know property or intelligence or client based deals that are you know not a secret but are you know important to the business itself um, there's a disclaimer involved sure okay. right, legally but go ahead and do it mm-hmm. you want to open up your place go ahead and do it I want you to do it Two ways, two reasons. A, I want the best thing for you, yourself, the individual. And if I, if you leave this nest and create your own nest, and you do great things, that only looks good for us. And it makes me feel good, good for okay. you, the individual. And what we're doing on the second end of it is, we're now creating a full culture and a food scene 
So whether you're like like Charleston or Austin, Texas, or something of that nature, if we become a food destination city, right, and and, and get folks on board and get a variety of food, I could care less how many restaurants we have, who's opening, because those who are not meeting the level of expectations of their diners are going to fall off. But if I have folks that maybe they have trained or worked with us or, you know, saw what's right, some obviously will tell you they saw what not to do from me. And that's fine too. make your own recipe and do it. But that makes us as a community even stronger. It puts us on the map. And I don't need for my tombstone to read, Jamie showed that Columbus can have a fine dining restaurant, but it wouldn't be so bad <laughs> because we were told when I first opened, it's not going to work here. Mm-hmm. Nope, won't work. Columbus, nope, they won't support it. Barbecue town? Won't support it. <laughs> but if you take even like a big, a big company like Aflac, sure, because they'll say 25, 30 years ago, it failed one of these restaurants. We've evolved. Mm-hmm. And you look at the executives, say, on the upper echelon of an Aflac, you know, they, they might have all grown up here and been from here back 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now they're from all over the world. True. They say, well, Jamie, you're crazy. You go after the military as part of your, your clientele. Said, but they're well-traveled. Knowledge is immense in regards to food culture. Mm-hmm. They've lived all over the world. Their commissaries have the coolest things in them. You know, I wish I had access to the commissary every day. Yeah. Because there's great ingredients from all over the world that I that I can just go in there and get because they put them in there because they know they bought them when they lived in Germany or wherever. Wow. Whether it was a ginger ketchup or whatever you might want to call mm-hmm. it. So. Well, let's yeah, let's talk about Epic because we're sitting here and it's a beautiful place and it's the Eagle in Phoenix in downtown Columbus and it was nothing for a while. So tell me about how you got in here, what it was like, the development of it. How did all this stuff pop out of your your head, the E and the the logo and all that? Tell me about that. Well, it goes back to to, um, having the relationship, the landlord, those that help us pull off the project, everybody to be, you know, in sync and and one to try to create this experience. Uh, yeah, the fish stinks from the head. I always say that, meaning that uh, <laughs> you can you can buy a salmon and the salmon can still be good, but if you look at the salmon's eyes, it's glossy or the gills aren't red; they're greenish gray or slimy. You can still eat the rest of that salmon, but it starts with somebody leading the cause, you know. And uh, it was something I didn't want to do. I love events. I love them because they're different every day. A restaurant is, can be like Groundhog's Day, mm-hmm. where you're like the movie, where you're doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, but this was intriguing because of not just the location, but those that were going to work with me to pull it off. Uh, that relationship was great. With W.C. Bradley and Matt Swift, that was fantastic. Couldn't do any better. And trickling down to Bill Green, who's now retired. But even, you know, Will Barnes and his group and the architectural piece, and Paul Gibson, they were fantastic. You know, Stacy, she, his whole team, we all got together. My chefs, Kevin and Tyler, plus myself, you know, here I've got cooks, chefs, helping decide where nails go. But, wow. you know, they're... They were smart. They are smart in regards to knowing a lot of things. 
So it started off with me just taking an empty piece of the building and just drawing stuff on the ground and taping things on the floor and, and going on and on and on and on. Uh, I had tried to take everything I've experienced from all over the world, whether I've dined there or worked there, if it's a place I worked in Paris, uh, Arpege, you know, Michelin Three Star Russia, to go into a cheesecake place in Philly. I try to take all the negatives out of an experience. And I use a tool with, with students and people, even my team. I take a piece of paper and I hold it up in front of them, white, blank piece of paper. I say, what do you see? I say, I see a white, blank piece of paper. And I take a Sharpie marker and I put a dot on the paper. And I say, all right, everybody, what do you see now? They say, I see a dot. Exactly. The white represents everything we did right. The dot, the black dot represents that one thing that we didn't do right. So it's going through the process of how can we find the negative before it finds the guest? Wow. Whether it's a step, whether it's lighting, whether it's the fabric, whether it's noise. So, you know, whether it's the acoustical treatments in these mills, we wrap the pipes so many times and acoustical treatments and yada, yada, yada. So that's what we were constantly trying to do. And the team did just that. Uh, the name of the restaurant was asked a hundred times, thousand times before maybe six months into the process. What's the name? What's the name? What's the name? I had no idea. Well, we want to put it on the plans. What's the name? What's the name? So don't know yet. We'll and you really didn't know? Had no idea. Wow. No okay. idea. Yeah. Because the name didn't drive it to me. Okay. You know, it was about the, the experience in the sense that, you know, you eat with your eyes, right? So something looks really good. You can't wait to dig into it. Okay. That doesn't mean it's going to taste good. So the second step, it's got to taste good. Um, you look around visual of the perspective of the restaurant, no matter where you're sitting, is your focal point good ones, every table. Uh, then touch. Uh, I had to have the right kind of wood on the wood table so people would stroke their fingers across them or the fabric that's the tablecloth. And no one knows what they're doing, but they're pleasured by it. If it was just a white tablecloth, there's not much pleasure to that. Um, when you touch a different fork, there's we got 10 different forks, 8 different knives, 12 different spoons. Each one goes to a different dish. You know, but And it's the right weight. And the glassware is the right glassware. People want to buy our glassware. You tell them where they can get it. No, I just want to buy it right now. You know? <laughs> Wrap it up. Um, so, you know, Send touch, it home. Sound, yeah. we kind of went over that. Um, smell, you know, the aromas. So we'll pour broth at the table so your olfactory nerves get, get the flavor of what you're eating before you actually eat it. You know, uh, so it was about that. So when you walked in the front door to the minute you left, we would love for you to say to the host or hostess or whoever you say goodbye to at the end of the night. That was a wonderful experience. That was a, not great food, not great service, not great drink. The whole thing culminated into a wonderful experience. So halfway into it, uh, six months into it, my wife just wakes up one morning. She says, Epic. I said, what? She goes, Epic. I said, honey, what are you sitting up for you on Epic for? She goes, that's the name of the restaurant. I said, Melissa, why? Because I always have to have a deep thought, deep meaning to everything. There has to be a reason. She goes, I don't know. That's the name of the restaurant. You figure out the rest. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Got it. <laughs> so I looked at it as an acronym. I was like, all right, we're in the Eagle and Phoenix Mill. So EP, Eagle Phoenix. I, what's the I going to be? Innovative cuisine mm. in Columbus. I just played with it, played with it. Which were both great. 
and I put <laughs> and I put put the logos on the shirt and and chef jackets and yeah yeah. But when you started thinking about it in the marketing perspective, those dots and websites and everything else it started wasn't doing it for me. So a little, little while passed, uh, I was looking for some, you know, usually my creative times are about two to four o'clock in the morning, done with work, get home, everybody's sleeping, no noise. And my, what, what do you, when are you sleeping? After that. Okay. <laughs> and I was grabbing some, some inspirational books out of my library. And one was a book called the Epicurean from Delmonico's in New York, old steakhouse in the late 1800s, you know, foundation to, to the financial district and restaurants, not just all over the world, but also the United States and cruise ships and such, because Charles Ronhofer, the chef, um, put dishes into place that you find on normal brunches and cruise ships, like lobster thermidors to eggs benedict to, you know, uh, you know a Delmonico steak. It's a cut of steak. And so I'm looking at the book and the filigrees and everything about it was kind of neat. And it's one of the oldest ones in America. And I started opening and looking through it. And the year after he passed, you know, it was when his wife produced the book, published it. And it's got beautiful drawings and everything, menus from big events. It was the same time period as this mill that's in here at the really? Phoenix. So bang. Mm-hmm. Then we started thinking about, all right. What about, and this goes back to what we talked about earlier about how to stay relevant in Columbus in a small town that doesn't have much transient business like in New York and Chicago, one and Dunners. How do we stay relevant? How do, why do I do? Bing, we tell a story. So when you walk in, front door says, once upon a time, the lowercase a is alpha for the beginning. It's the beginning of your experience. The epic has a copyright C. Uh, you turn the C 90 degrees, it's the sign for Omega at the end. So uh, the books themselves are not so many in the dining room. There are private dining rooms called the library. I was trying not to get too hokey, but I stapled books up on the wall. We had the Chick-fil-A training manual, the Coca-Cola cookbook. We didn't just staple any. There's reasons for everything. The bar itself, we want to do a barcode like you'd have on a can or box because it's a bar, barcode. It didn't structurally work, so I ended up doing uh, Morse code. It says Epicurean Morse code. But as I keep going, the cocktails are named after novels and books alike. So, you know, Secret Life of Bees has Savannah, Georgia honey. Or As I Lay Dying, you know, Gunpowder Green Tea, Huckleberry Finn Bees. It's great, great narratives. And a lot of other, many other things in the dining room, which I don't want to mention. But it's almost like a little bit of Chinese water torture in a sense that you could come here every time and find out something different. And what I find oh, yeah. is once you find out something different, you can't wait to tell somebody, you know, something that they don't know. It yes. goes back to those eighth grade girls or some that are 28 years old. <laughs> hey, I did this. And did you know this or da da da? Mm-hmm. Because if they know that and they bring a, uh, their friend to the bar, Hey, did you know this is Morris code? Hey, did you know that? Hey, did you know? And now they might bring somebody. So they're now telling the story for us. Uh, the menu reads preface, chapter one, chapter two, index, da da da. So it's not too much in your face, but I believe that all establishments like this are telling a story. We're just kind of, you know, putting it up to the forefront a little bit in regards to that. Now, when you come in, there's something hanging on the wall that I think we need to mention because it was a big deal. I was here when it was presented to you. Uh, Diamonds. Okay. What is that? What does it mean? And why did you get it? 
So you're referring to the uh, our AAA Four Diamond Award. Yes. This is our – we just got noticed the other day that we have uh, now received our four years running, uh, the AAA Diamond uh, Restaurant Award. And many listeners probably already know what that means. Uh, but to kind of put it in perspective uh, for us here in Columbus is that – there are only two restaurants outside of the city of Atlanta that have been distinguished with the Four Diamond Award. The other one is down on the coast of Florida down there, a uh, very popular uh, hotel. And then there's a little old epic a mom-and-pop style restaurant. Um, so that really gives you goosebumps for sure. Um, the award or any awards themselves – uh, especially even when I was on Team USA competing, you know, with a team of you know four other chefs and coaches and such, those were great awards. Those were because you're 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 doing it for your country and, and they're very emotional. But the, this type of award means so much to me because this has to do about the whole village. Everybody who works at Epic or who was here in the past or you know or today. Um, they are the recipients of the award because I don't answer the phones for every reservation. I don't open the door. I don't, you know, print every menu. I don't serve every table. I don't pour a glass of water to every single table. I don't slice or bake the bread for everyone. I don't make every dish. I don't, you know, talk to every chef table uh, in detail. I don't, I don't clean the toilets every day. I mean, I do all of these tasks, trust me. But uh, the team that's around here is the one who, Actually, they all have pulled off, you know, such a wonderful achievement. And most importantly, they sustained it. Uh, it, It's great to get something once, but to to continue to get it, you know, now in 2019 is one that I I absolutely cherish. Now, it goes up to five diamonds, but there are some requirements like jacket required and things of that nature. Uh, I feel that, you know. We won't, we won't receive that or ever achieve the Five Diamond Award just because I want my guests to feel comfortable. And um, jackets, you know, nowadays, um, in most suits, people ask, can I wear jeans? I say, sure. You know, nice, you know, dress jeans are fine. Some dress jeans cost more than suits anyway. They laugh. <laughs> uh, but, yes, absolutely. That, that's uh, something we are all proud of here. And uh, we take very serious and would love if, if, if another restaurant even in here in our town in Columbus, Georgia would, would get that, that, that honor as well because that, that's, that's the beginning of really showing how, how strong we can be around here. Yeah, that is a huge, I mean, that's a huge deal. Why, I mean, to me, I know a lot more goes into it. Why do you think, like to me, good food plus good service equals good restaurant, right? Why do you think other restaurants, not just in this town, but in general, fail? I, I've had the, the luck of doing plenty of consulting uh, for restaurants, uh, meaning that luck being it, people just call me up out of nowhere and say, hey, can you do this? Can you help us with this? And so on. Uh, and what I've seen with many of those was the sustaining tool. You, you can set up a, a thing in process. You can set it a whole process 
in place and it's it's up to the individuals to pull it off it's up to that head of the fish to make sure it gets done you can watch several of gordon ramsay's type shows where he he uh, goes in a restaurant fixes it up i don't know what they're called but you know the question is you know did they actually you know listen um you know, just because you've 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 thrown some parties or you've catered for so and so or your daughter's you know sixteenth birthday, and just because a person has a space available and they want to rent it to someone, doesn't necessarily mean a restaurant's going to work. Um, I, I pretty pretty much said no to this project a good six plus times before we even thought about doing it. Um, one important thing is is how the real estate works out. It has to be a win win for the restaurateur and the and the uh, the developer or the owner of the real estate. Uh, it has to be a win win because the last thing you want to do is have your your piece of property that you own as you know a developer become a revolving door. And oh, you know, I remember that place is the old da 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 because it always be referred to whatever the first one is. Sometimes the second and third. Yeah, we got a few of those here. Yeah, you probably could, you know. And and the other thing is, really and truly, is it does not take away the fact that you, the individual opening a restaurant or doing what you got to do, doesn't have heart. That doesn't take that away. It doesn't have skill. doesn't have knowledge. But you can't do it all by yourself unless it's a food truck or you establish it. You're the only soup Nazi in the kitchen and there's nobody else working with you. Um, you've got to be able to... Um, Understand that you know staffing is going to be a revolving door. Times are going to change. You've got to be creative. A lot of things I said prior to that question, John, really is part of that recipe. Location is 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 a big thing too. But if your location is not ideal, Epic's tucked around the corner. It's hard to find. People get mad on all day long. You get mad every day. <laughs> they can't find us. But once you know. You feel pleased and pleasured in the restaurant. They forget about how what 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 they what maze they went through to get here. Is what I'm getting. At. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the plans for for Epic? What's the plans for Jamie Keating moving forward? You know, we we are blessed in regards to and have been, and pretty much happens most every day, if not once a week, uh, opportunities to do a lot of different things uh, when. I studied Danny Meyer, uh, a restaurant tour in New York City. Um, his most popular restaurant is 11th at Madison Park, which he ended up giving uh, ownership to the chef and the food and beverage director after you know the 9-11. Uh, but he has Shake Shack and uh, Grammar's Tavern and Union Square Cafe. But Union Square Cafe was one of his first restaurants in the city. And he went on to say that he didn't even open his second restaurant until 10 years. Mm. It took 10 years for him to get everything he needed to do to get right. Whether it, putting on a schedule, how many times you change your toilet seat, mm-hmm. uh, you name it. Now we're at six and a half years here at Epic. Uh, we are constantly catering all over, uh, as I explained earlier, and we'll continue to do so. There are plenty of ideas on the board, on the works, in the works, in the works, yeah, in the works. And um, 
we'll, I just want you to stay tuned because I know none next, of which you will discuss. The next podcast will be one that you, you'll be, you'll be knocking on my door saying, let's get this done right now. I got it. I got but know it. that in the meantime, call on us for anything. We have a private dining room here, multiple venues to be cater at. Uh, I, you know, I started off this business as a caterer. And uh, I would really, 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 really enjoy going back to doing a little more of that. That's great. All right. Last question. This is a softball question for you because I know you've been asked it before, but I know people are going to want to hear the answer to it. What does the chef eat? What is your favorite food? What do you, you know, you're, you're alone, you're all for the restaurant. It's just you and the family. And Melissa goes, Jamie, what do you want for dinner? What do you what do you say? Well, my favorite thing to eat is, and this is in no way um, getting brownie points here, but <laughs> it is uh, my wife's eggplant parmesan. Uh, it's either I know it's being made one of two reasons. Uh, either um, a she knows I've just been you know to the grindstone working hard, and she she has the opportunity. She makes it for me. And it's there waiting for me on the on the stove when I get home. Or B, um, she's about to present me with something that I really don't want to know about, and she's kind of buttering me up with the eggplant parmesan. <laughs> but generally, it's the first. Okay. Uh, I love comfort foods. Uh, I can't tell you how many times people say, well, Jamie, we can't invite you to our house, or we wanted you to a dinner party, but we're not going to invite you. I'm not we're not bringing the chef in, you know? Who we is, who's one that would go to somebody's house, eat a free meal, Call it that <laughs> and criticize it. <laughs> then you really don't know me. Uh, I love a good Sabret hot dog with a with a really tasty bun that goes with it. Uh, you know, that's how simple I am. Now, here at Epic, our menu is eclectic and all over the place. But if I wrote the menu for the way I wanted to eat every day, we would be closed. We have to be able to be there and, and, and available in many different, we can't please everybody, but be there on the vegan end, the vegetarian end, all those notes ready to go at all times of the day. Uh, cause that's the whole idea, inviting you into grandmother's home and, and taking care of you with that warm heart. But, you know, rustic foods, just a nice, you know, stewed uh, white bean with a little shrimp and drizzled with a really killer you know, olive oil and a splash of a, you know, a tasty vinegar. Uh, those comfort foods are what I enjoy the most. That's awesome. And, and, and nobody in my house is gluten-free, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's great. But you do have that. You are prepared for that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Breads. Here, here, whether it's on-site, off-site, and that's part of getting intelligence. We find out, X, Y, this person's gluten-free. We already know when we're bringing bread service out. Uh, there is, uh, when Melissa, my wife, answers the phone, Everything's directed to her cell phone, no matter where she's at. She could be at the vet. She could be picking, you know, somebody up at school. She could be picking weeds in the backyard. Uh, the phone rings to her because we, we we care about the people that call in and their experience. Mm-hmm. And so she'll ask if there's dietary restrictions, allergies, special preferences, yada yada yada. Uh, she, if 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 it's a 50th wedding anniversary, you know we. we we know that everybody's considered VIP in our place, no matter what, but how many people have had two 50th wedding anniversaries? So we know Good it's point. even just a little more special right. uh, that we might put on a little bit of that. People ask me when they see some, some pictures I've done for Epic or of your, of your family, 
do uh, do any celebrities ever? Do you ever, ever see any celebrities in Epic? Or uh, so, who is who's been here before that we would that we would need to know about, or that we would find interesting? Like, who are the celebrities that that come here? So I think uh, let me see. There's been about at least I'd have to go back and really do some work on this job, but there's got to be at least twenty five thousand celebrities that have been through Epic stores, <laughs> uh, and I say that in absolute honesty and you can go ahead and ask every one of our team members here how I feel and what I think about the word VIP or who's a celebrity and who's not but just as I alluded to that 50th wedding anniversary or you know somebody you know coming for a $35 three course menu uh, that's the same price six and a half years running for our for the first hour we're open three full courses um, somebody's coming to dinner and they might have to rustle up some money. They have to get a dress for their lady. Uh, they have to get an Uber and a babysitter possibly. They have to drive all the way, maybe say from Fort Benning or, or, or you know, wherever they might be coming. Uh, we have that responsibility to give them a fantastic experience. Uh, one, one thing I was told in the beginning, they said, Jamie, you, you're saying you're, you're targeting after Valentine's Day, birthdays, anniversaries, uh, holidays, things of that nature. That, that's the rest. That, and food and restaurants for dummies. It says you shouldn't do that. And I say, well, wait a minute. Tell me somebody who hasn't had a birthday. Well, yeah, you're right. Okay. And let's say they're married. That means an anniversary and possibly two birthdays every year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So while they're in the restaurant, if we do our job right, then we potentially can have that diner or diners in, you know, multiple times I will actually go to great lengths that if uh, somebody of notoriety is coming to hide them from the restaurant and the dining room um, so that those people having their experience in the dining room aren't affected by the quote unquote TV personality or sports athlete but um, the and there's been many, John, and that's great. Uh, but I just want to make sure everybody understood that that's, that's not what, what drives us, you know. Um, but the funniest story is, is uh, when Shaq came, uh, Shaquille O'Neal came to dinner. <laughs> and it's good that Melissa knew earlier on because I want to make sure I had the right chairs uh, to hold him and his entourage. And he was here for uh, the Mark, Upshaw, Mark Upshaw and Sam Mitchell uh, basketball camp. And he came down and he, he graciously, um, you know, went to the camp to inspire the kids and such. And then it, he had the dinner here. Trina Trice brought him to dinner and uh, he walked in the front door and I was in the kitchen. And my wife is about five feet tall, she says. Um, she's about up to his, you know, his belly button. And he walks in the front door and he says to her, hello. She says, hello. He goes, you got cheesecake? And she goes, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> So he goes into our private dining room, the library, not in the main dining room. And um, Melissa comes running to me and she says, Jamie, Mr. O'Neill's here and he wants cheesecake. I said, OK. And she says, um, but he wants it now. So what do you mean he wants it now? So I said, he wants it now. I said, oh, good grief. So I hustle, get the cheesecake. That's another long story. She comes back, says to me, I'm about to serve it as his first course, cheesecake. Well, he wants brownie ice cream. And I said, okay, I got it. So then go get some um, chocolate torts that we do. They're kind of like brownies. Take some liquid nitrogen, 
freeze up real quick uh, a brownie ice cream, put it on top of the cheesecake that cut circular, serves it to him in the, the private diner. Well, this is why he's selling, you know, Buicks and Pepsi and everything else that uh, whatever that general guy is, everything, mm-hmm. uh, because the whole dining room of 40 now all want a cheesecake and brownie <laughs> ice cream before their dinner. <laughs> And so we're scrambling to get that out amongst, you know, the diners are in the dining room and making sure everybody's taking care of there. And uh, I guess he asked one of the servers, yeah, I want to meet the chef. And so they walked in the back of my kitchen by our chef table and he kind of dug his head, uh, you know, at an angle because he's too tall to get in the door. And he goes to put his hand out. I shake his hand and his fingers just wrapped around my hand. Like it felt like elastic man, like five times. I'm like, holy cow. And uh, I said, hey, sir, I, said, I met you before a long time ago in Atlanta. Da, da, da. Everything OK? You you cook here? I said, yes, sir. Said, Your steaks are better than Jack's. I mean, better than Emerald's. I said, oh, thank you. Thank wow. You. He goes, yeah, I like your steak. And uh, the gentleman and, and his entourage, they probably each ate about three entrees apiece with sides and everything else. Really? Was, yeah. They, I, what is he, 7'4", 7'2", 7'4"? He's up now? there. I got a picture yeah. with the whole team afterwards. He wanted, he, you know, and he's the one. He was the greatest one. I want to get a picture with everybody, you know. Uh, I would never go up and ask, hey, can I take a picture with you or this or that? Right. No, so, um, you know, other than that, we had Tommy Lee Jones and Meryl Streep and them in here to shoot a movie. Very they were here cool. for a month and a half. And not one diner, not one resident in the Eagle and Phoenix here because uh, my staff kept it zipped. Didn't tell yeah, their friends. I didn't know Nobody. that until you told me. Yeah. Dying in here for, you know, a month and a half straight. There's probably a lot of people that I come in. in the back door. Eat. Yeah. Yep. We have no idea they're here. And more yeah. importantly, not just to interrupt the diary, but if we could show them that we could give them seclusion and, and mm-hmm. away from everybody and no paparazzi at the door, then then we're pulled. We're the doing, chef to the stars, you know, like the plastic surgeons. Yeah. That, that they go in the back door and go out the back door. Well, Jamie, this has been great. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down. It's awesome to hear somebody that has a... A passion for creating with food that has turned that into, for lack of a better word, an empire. I mean, an entrepreneurial spirit, a servant spirit, and uh, and to bring uh, notoriety to Columbus in in the culinary arena and in the, in the food. And I will see you here uh, next Friday night, <laughs> taking right. taking right. care of two things at once. So thank you very much, Chef Keating. You got it.